Welcome to another episode of the Everyday Expertise Podcast. I'm your host, Roland Martin, and I hope that today's conversation will expand your knowledge. Today, I welcome Steve Martin to the show. Steve is my uncle, who spent many years managing the retail operation at Martin's Family Fruit Farm. After agreeing to be one of the guests on my podcast, he suggested that instead of doing another episode on the career of someone that worked at Martin's Family Fruit Farm, he could instead share lessons that he's learned from his experiences serving on many different boards. And I was quite happy to take him up on his suggestion. We begin by talking about his career, how he got his first position on a board, and the different types of boards that he has sat on. For the last 45 minutes, Steve does a great job of sharing important lessons that he has learned from his experiences and gives good suggestions for board members and others to think about. I hope that you will enjoy it and learn from his expertise. Welcome, Steve, to Everyday Expertise. I'm really excited to talk with you today. It's good to be here, Roland. I am looking forward to our time together here this morning. All right. So tell me a little bit. What uh, what are your days looking like currently or what's keeping you busy right now? My days right now are very relaxed. <laughs> um, I've... I've probably never been this relaxed in my life, or at least not since my my early to middle teenage years. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, it it's kind of funny. I I um I've never been in, early retirement was never on my bucket list. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something that I um, dreamed of, or even you know that it was a goal of mine. I always kind of even scoffed a little bit at the <laughs> idea that that people would be, you know, retire in in their fifties. I just right. thought, ah, you know, that's actually a sign of laziness. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but when um, the opportunity was given to me, you know, my my brother Kevin, president of, of Martin's. Mm-hmm. Uh, gave me this this um, deal, this opportunity mm-hmm. that it really I it was just too good to say no to. Okay, yeah. I you know I took another look at it and and it just seemed that everything was falling into place and and that seemed to be be a very clear direction that that's the way I should go right now, even though. The future isn't exactly all open to me. Okay, um, mm-hmm. you know what what it all means. Right. Um, I just saw it as as a door to go through in faith that that whatever is next um, will 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 become apparent. Nice. And, and yeah. so in the meantime, here I'm just really enjoying it. Um, so how long has it been since you officially so retired now? Officially, my last day of official work or responsibilities at Martin's was on the 29th of May, I believe. Okay. So the end of May. So it's been about three and a half months. Okay, yep. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of assumed that for three months I would have no problems at all. I'd, I'd be... I, you know, and then after that, that's where I kind of saw that maybe 
Like you'll or, start getting bored. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yep. It hasn't been that way. Oh, really? Yet. Okay. Oh, no. It That's was, good. Yeah. Like, three months just flew by. Nice. And it's like I feel like I barely really even got started on some of the things that I was hoping to do. Okay. And yeah. uh, my days, yeah, you know, probably a, a busy person would would kind of look at my days and kind of laugh and say, really, you call that a full day? <laughs> I'll admit it doesn't take as much to make a full day as what it did at one right, time. Yeah. But I, I, um, I know I've been finding, finding things to do and, and just kind of living a day at a time mm-hmm. and, and really enjoying it. Nice. Yeah. So what are maybe this, uh, you can fill in some of your hobbies or interests that you have here, but what are some of the things that you, you've been doing in the last few months since you've been retired? So I've, I've been doing some reading. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't do as much reading as I used to, partly because of, of my eyes. And, okay. Yeah. And that, that was also a factor in, in, um, in my early retirement. My, my eyesight is not getting better. I'm I'm just on the verge right now of if it would get any worse I would lose my license okay, um, yeah. which you know would have quite an effect obviously on what I would do or be able to do. Yeah. But um the the good side on that is that I do have a con- consultation booked with my 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 retina specialist in November where he's looking at the possibility of doing cataract surgery. That's okay. the reason. It's cataracts that is causing the, okay. the yep. issue at this point. And because of other conditions of my eyes, they've always been slow to even consider surgery. Okay. Because there's extra complications gotcha. involved. However, he's, he is at this point saying he's quite optimistic that that it would work and that it'll make the situation better. So I'm... You know, I'm I'm waiting for that um, final verdict and, okay. and just hoping and praying that that it'll it'll be better. But trying to be ready for whatever comes. So yeah. so reading maybe not as much. You know, at one point I was a very avid reader, right. did a lot of it, um, and uh, then and you know, as you get more and more busy in life, you maybe don't have quite as much time, but still always enjoyed picking up a book been doing maybe a little bit more than I had been in the past um even if it's you know just listening to books right yeah reading I mean them. that's and um uh been doing a fair bit of walking mm, um nice. I'm not the walker that that I know you are the I don't <laughs> run anymore <laughs> and I don't walk near as much as your dad does but I I I like to get in, you know, three or four decent walks um, in a week if I can. Nice. Yeah. Um, I we've been doing a little bit of traveling, um, just within Ontario. Obviously, we can't yeah, go further right than now, that. Yeah. But we've been getting to know Ontario. Okay. Um, better and seeing parts of Ontario that I didn't even know existed, nice. and really enjoying that. Like just short trips, like yeah, a few short days, trips, or... a few days here, a few days yeah. there. Sometimes even just day trips. Right. Um, yeah. And we yeah, just last week we were out in eastern Ontario. Okay. And uh, spend a week or three or four days in the Perth area. Nice. Um, and then came back through Prince Edward County and, you know, went across a ferry that I didn't even know existed. Okay. Um, stuff like that. We, we just, yeah, it, 
um, it's been fun to get to know our own problems yeah, a little nice. bit better. Well, and, if you if you have a if you're limited to your home province, probably Ontario isn't a bad place to to get to explore. Like it's big and <laughs> it really is not a bad. It's you know we we talk about it all the time that you know if we were traveling from another area and we were going through some of this the. the the varied scenery that we have right, here in yeah. Ontario, we think it is wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> Very you true. know, when you live in it, you kind of... You're used to it. Yeah, you get used yeah. to it, whatever. But it, it, Ontario is it's a big place, and it's um, it's it's a beautiful province. Yeah. And, uh, we, so, yeah, we've been doing some of that. The other thing that I've been working on... Um, just so the first first month or two i spent cleaning out my office and kind of you know getting things in place and so on but martin's is next year we'll be celebrating their their 50th anniversary since uh dad planted the first season in in 71 and so i've actually been spending a bit of time just um uh, writing down and documenting and collecting some of that history. Okay, fascinating. Um, whether anything will be done with it or not, who knows, but at least it'll be on paper for, yeah. for you know, future people to look at or, re- you know, for research or whatever. Right. Um, so I'm just, I figured, you know, now is probably as good a time to, to do that as any. Um, I... You know, writing isn't my first love. Okay. But, um, you know, if I have no deadlines and can just spend the time <laughs> yep. out of the one. So I, I've been making some headways on that. I've nice. got got a fair bit of material written down already and, uh, and um, st- you know, still working at that okay. whenever yep. I feel like it. So, okay, yeah. So um, between those things and, and helping Rose a bit more, I've been helping her with some canning projects nice, and yeah. things like that that I've never really done before. You know, just yesterday I peeled a bushel of pears. And okay. Just yep. spending time with my grandkids. Um, there's four of them now with the fifth one on the way. And, and uh, yeah, those are all things that I'm just enjoying right now. Yeah, no, that's that's excellent. Um, yeah. And it's um, when, I, when I asked you to, to be to come on to the podcast here and ask you if you have any suggestions for um for what you're going to talk about um which is serving on a board and kind of some of the things um to do with with that um did uh did the fact that you're retired now um did that kind of influence that decision or or make you think more about that because are you still serving on boards and things like that as as you move into um your post your career here yes so presently i'm still serving on two different boards okay um i retired from two just uh within the last year okay so i had up until up until february actually i came off two in february so up until february i was i was on four um at that point and it just so happened that my terms um, expired on two of them in February. So I, I'm i still on two, um, not in an executive position on, on either of those two. That was the other thing. So I also came off 
as being chair of the of the one okay in february as well so it, my load really oh wow okay all at once. <laughs> so the one you're still on you're no longer chairman i'm of, not yeah, okay. chair of that yeah. one anymore which um you know we'll talk about that a bit later yeah about you know um some of my my views on 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 uh those types of things and and why i i see um i see you know although i i enjoyed my time in that particular board in in a chair position um i i see problems with the one person holding that position oh definitely okay. yeah. or even for the length of time that he's on the board i think mm-hmm. a good board actually um can can bury that position and, yeah. and so on so um in this particular board which i'll maybe talk about a bit more later it, it was a case where where i was brought on for my board experience okay and um and there, there certainly were other board members on there that had very definite leadership capabilities, mm-hmm. um, but just didn't have the experience. And I actually saw it as kind of my duty to make sure that they not only get board experience, but that they get some chance to, to lead out and get some experience. Right, yeah. That because, that sense, yeah. you know, I see some of them as being very good future leaders okay in other endeavors as well Mm -hmm. yeah so um maybe this would be a good time to to kind of ask you about your story what you want to share from it um so if you want to talk a little bit about um your career what you've uh what you were doing up to this point and um, then also i'd like to hear a little bit about kind of how you got started on uh on serving on boards and um, kind of how you how you developed and how you learned that that's something that you enjoyed, something that you're good at. Um, I remember being in a meeting or something um, with you a few years ago when you were we were introducing ourselves, and I remember that you saying that that you enjoy serving on boards. I didn't know if I'd ever heard anyone uh, <laughs> come out and say that before, um, so I, I thought that was that was quite unique. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of interested in hearing kind of how that started and and how it's developed over the years so um i guess i'll let you start where you think it's uh it's relevant to share a little bit about uh about your history your story and what's gotten you to this point sure so hey my story um uh more or less starts as you know on on the martin farm Mm -hmm. that's where i where I was born, where I grew up, and where I lived all of my life, really, except for uh, a year that I lived out west where I taught school out in Alberta for a year. But other than that, I've literally lived on this property or right beside it for my whole life. Right. Um, I, I was the oldest in a family of eight, um, and... I, you know, we initially, um, dad was a a hog farmer. That's what I remember initially growing up with is having the the pigs and Mm -hmm. doing chores and, and so on. I went to, um, 
uh, private Christian school in the area from grade two on. Uh, grade one, that when I was in grade one in, in 69, that school hadn't started yet. Only started when I was in grade two. Okay. And um, did all of my years up to grade 10 in in um, in uh, a pri- private Christian schools. I um, would have my my preference would have been to to complete my high school, um, and dad dad i remember him even telling me that he would like if i could finish high school he that would have been kind of his first choice however um it was at a time where he was extremely busy okay with uh church work um his involvement in the church at that point in time had had, was just really expanding and and growing. He was he was on a number of different boards okay. yep. um, that he was serving on, and and the Apple business was just starting to to take off a little bit at that point. When I was like, you know, the year I would have turned sixteen. Okay, um, it definitely was not anything like it is today but it was just starting to pick up a little bit okay. we were doing just a little bit of wholesaling into some local grocery stores and things like that and my dad just could not see his way through um how he was going to be able to do his church work and and board work um on top of of running an expanding farm yeah. organization without my help here. At okay, all. right. And so he pled with me to, if I would consider working full-time on the farm and, and putting off my education for the time being with the idea that maybe in a few years, and I think initially it was like, well, maybe when Ken is done grade 10, then okay. I could yeah. maybe go back and finish my high school. The other kind of compromise or carrot that he threw in was that um, in the winter months, um, I could take some time off and go to Bible school. Mm-hmm. And I I would classify myself as being a fairly social person. And so that idea of going to you know Bible school... Um, even if it was just, you know, for a month or two in the Mm -hmm. winter, uh, was intriguing to me. Mm -hmm. Um, I, and so I, I just kind of looked at it and said, okay, well, I think I can live with that for the time being. So in, at that point, um, the Bible school that I attended out in Minnesota, Maranatha, uh, you actually could could attend as a as 16 year old so i oh, just okay. went for one three week term that first year kind of to see if i liked it then mm-hmm. also because i was just 16 yeah. i was pretty young um but i really enjoyed it and for the next three years i went back every year okay for um for a six-week term and uh then in in 84 I was asked to teach uh, school out in 
in uh, Alberta, southern Alberta, okay. in the Raymond Lethbridge area. <clears throat> and I, I, um, so I, I chose that. Teaching actually was kind of um, what I would have considered to be my dream job. Okay. If nice. I, at that point, would have been asked, you know, what I want to do with my life, mm -hmm. I would have said, yeah, I think I'd like to teach. But I also knew that to do that, I, I would have I would have wanted to, to go back to school and right. to, to do it right. But I also, you know, I wasn't quite willing to make that jump without actually seeing if this was for me. And so mm -hmm. when I was given this opportunity to teach, and really in a large extent, what I consider what I did out there was more tutoring than teaching. Okay. But it was, I mean, it was a... It was a program. They had a program that was kind of a, a self-learning type oh, thing, yeah. and I, I was, um, I was there to to make sure that they were meeting their goals right. and to help where I could, and and so I looked at it as as a great opportunity. I um, to see if this, in fact, would be for me. Mm -hmm. um, went down to Virginia for a week of training with the CLE program okay. thing there yep. and then and then headed out west for the year um and i i uh i enjoyed that year really did um at the end of the year they asked or toward the end of the year they asked if i would come back another year mm -hmm. the one thing that i did not enjoy and that was that I noticed that my eyesight was actually suffering. Okay. Just the strain of constantly reading and being in books. Mm -hmm. I did just in that year, I noticed a deterioration. And okay. When I came back, um, I think I had an eye doctor appointment when I was home for Christmas. I'm not sure. I don't remember exactly, but I remember my doctor telling me that if I kept on doing this, that I would be blind by the time I was 40. Okay. And that scared me. Yeah. Um, it really, really scared me. And I kind of said, okay, well, maybe this is not for me, even though it was kind of giving up a little bit. Right, yeah. So I actually enjoyed the work. And I think had it not been for that, I would have probably maybe taught another year just – to be fair to them and then yeah. and then very likely possibly gone back to school okay yeah. but you know life throws different curves at right. you and different things and and that was one of them and so instead i came back i did go to bible school one more year in 85 okay um just more or less to to finish and to graduate so mm -hmm. i got my diploma there um and uh and then I started dating a local girl um, mm -hmm. here, Rosemary. Um, and in 87, we, we got married, bought a trailer, um, and moved it onto the farm here where we lived for the first three years. Okay. And then in 1990, we bought Grandma's place. Um, uh, Grandpa died in 85, but they had a retirement home at the end of the lane way. Mm -hmm. So we bought their place, and uh, Grandma bought our trailer. They moved it up against the house, the farmhouse, so she could be closer to, oh, okay, yeah. to Mom and Dad. And 
and uh, that's where we've lived ever since. That's where we raised our family of mm-hmm. four kids. And uh, and I've worked at Martin's um, from then up until um, up until a few months ago. Okay, as I yep. said earlier. Hmm. So what? Uh, just give me a brief description of kind of what was your role at least at the the end here at uh, at Martin's. Um, what were what were you involved in? So at the at the end, uh, in the last ten years or so, my my involvement was primarily with retail. Okay. Uh, so yeah. my my title was uh, retail sales manager, mm-hmm. um, and I I ran the the store, um, the farm market on the farm, and uh, you know was in charge of of getting the so obviously we grow the apples but we we handled uh we we ran a, a full line like all ontario produce when right. it was in yeah. season we carried in the stores so my job was procuring that that product mm-hmm. bringing it to the store and and managing the store um earlier in the life of my life of work <clears throat> i mean it, it started out um, more or less doing everything. Okay. I always was a little bit, I mean, the, the, the retail end of it, the farmer's market and so on was kind of what I was from the time I was 16 on was kind of my thing from the time, um, I could drive Mm -hmm. the minute I could drive. That was, you know, dad still came to the market some, but not very much after that point. And so that was always kind of my thing, but I, I also in you know initially in the early years of the business, um, the other part that was my I mean I did some deliveries and things like that, but I, I um, was primarily in charge of the books. So okay. I started out. There was a time when my title was office manager, mm-hmm. and um, that involved payroll it involved right. hr it involved sales um just about everything yeah. uh was was in there i i kind of laugh sometimes i i'd go through the office there at martin sometimes and i would kind of kiddingly shake my head at some of them say i have no idea what you guys all do all day because i used to do all of this <laughs> used to be in charge of all of these yeah, offices. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, not just in charge of it, I did it. Yeah, you yeah. did it, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, he, you know, like up until 93, we were, like, we got our first computers at Martin's in 93. Okay. Wow. And up until that point, it, it was all manual, you yeah. know, even payroll. Like, uh, we had, you know, we were doing, if you count all the part-time in those last years, we were doing um, T4s for... Uh, over a hundred people wow. and that was all totally manual like uh, writing it filling in writing and yeah. filling it out wow. and, and, and <laughs> it was you know there was i i sometimes shake my head and i wonder how in the world did i possibly do all of that <clears throat> in that time and and you know by today's standards it probably wasn't all done you know as professionally as what as what we would expect you know today right however it was done with 
in my mind, with the best tools that we had at yeah, the time yeah, and no, had available to us. And, and it wasn't all bad. I mean, you, uh, you know, I learned, learned a lot about, about work ethics and about dealing with people mm-hmm. and, and all of those things in that time period and picked up a lot of valuable experience that I will never, never yeah. forget. No, I'm sure. And just uh, as you were kind of talking about some of the things that you were involved in there, I I think about um, the tremendous opportunity I had as a teenager to work work uh, for you at market for for many summers, and um, and I often think about the the really good experience that that was and what all I've I've learned from that too. So, yeah, that was actually a side benefit. I feel like I got to know um, a lot of my nieces and nephews yeah. better because of that because a lot of them did work for me at least for a summer or two and some yeah. like you for quite a few summers um you know there were there were parts about that sometimes that were stressful we were often very busy mm-hmm. at market and so on and i probably drove you a bit hard at times <laughs> well but... i remember the last few years we were starting at three in the morning on often <laughs> yeah. to, to oh, get yeah. set there up were, in time those were long and... hours yeah, well... and often that you know i had often put in my 50 to 60 hours right before we ever started on saturday yep. morning you know so know. They, yeah. they were long weeks and long days um but you know, I I don't regret them. They they were it was it was good. And yes, there are things about. I I often said that, uh, you know, give me a young young person, um, for three or four months at market, um, and uh, let me watch him and hmm. and observe how he does and so on, and I will tell you, almost for sure how he will do in whatever career he takes. Okay. You know, and there, there were young people that went on to be engineers and lawyers and, well, teachers at least, um, ministers, uh, um, pastors, di- different things that went on to do different things. And invariably, um, yeah, I can I, I could pretty well tell you <laughs> how successful they were going to be by how they did at market. Interesting. And it, so, you know, they're just the skills that you learn. You know, you learn people skills. Right. You learn you learn money skills, um, yep. manual math skills, all yeah. kinds of things <laughs> that, that you you learn from from that. So it, it's a good learning experience yeah, for kids. Yeah, no, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, no, it was a great experience for me, that's for sure. Yeah, so... When did you get asked or get appointed to uh, to serve on a board for the first time, or where did that kind of start? Yeah, so again, some like I guess some of it started out initially um, with the fact that I was doing some of the PR work and so on for Martins. Okay, um, yep. uh, that also kind of was part of some of what I did. I should say that you know it didn't take too long into my career to to discover that that while I enjoyed business, um, I enjoyed the the um, a lot of aspects of business. Mm-hmm. It didn't take me real long to also see that I was not though necessarily cut out to be. Um, 
a businessman per se. Okay. And and what I mean by that is that in in our so in along with myself and my brothers um, and dad when we would sit down and discuss projects and mm-hmm. new things and different things I tended to be the one that would look at what all could go wrong oh yeah gotcha. <laughs> um, you know I I don't consider myself a pes- pessimist I mm-hmm. like to call it realism yeah but you know I I I was I'm certainly less of a risk taker okay. than what uh, yeah. you know. There there's a sense where a business person has to be willing to take some risks. Right, it just is that way. I wouldn't say I'm totally adverse to risks. I can certainly be convinced, mm-hmm. um, and I you know tried to be a team player over the years and when. When projects, when we would decide on a project, I didn't sit around and question it or um, say, okay, you know, this this was a, a dumb idea or whatever. Right. I tried to be supportive even when I had questions about stuff. But I'll be the first to admit that our business would not have grown nearly to the extent it had and maybe wouldn't even exist today had uh, I been in charge okay and i i saw that fairly early on Mm -hmm. that my role was more of a a support role Mm -hmm. in that sense at the same time i i did like and and do like the challenge of of um being involved in in projects and Mm -hmm. in in uh even new projects and so on um I like seeing where where things can go and so on. And I think maybe one of my first experiences on a, a border, it was almost more of a committee type thing. Okay. It wasn't yep. a real formal thing. We had been asked to um, be part of a... Um, I'm not even sure what the organization was called or if it had an official name, but... But it, what what they did is they oversaw um, farm visits. So they basically went and asked a bunch of farms whether they would be willing to open their farms to the public on a particular day. Okay. And then um, participate would be advertised, promoted as such, and participants could um, start off at any one of the six or seven or eight farms that okay, might yeah. be might have been on the route and they'd be given a map and they could start then and okay. then they could do the route and visit these different farms on a um kind of as they went right. around and then some farms would have a guided tour other farms would kind of have your you know you would do your own kind of tour through the farm depending how they had it set up okay so the this first... was to try to to get people informed. Yeah, farms? it was yeah. it was to be an educational thing as to what's it, what's involved to get people to appreciate where their food comes right. from, yep. and so on. Uh, was kind of the the whole idea behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, that we're talking. This was like back in the. Oh, I'm thinking. Um, early '90s, maybe. Okay. Yep. Where where this was being done. Um, 
And uh, late 80s, early 90s. I don't have exact dates, but somewhere around there. And our farm was asked to be a part of this okay. the first year that they did it. And then somehow through that, I was asked to to sit on the committee that planned oh, future events okay. as well. So the I, I'm not sure how that happened. I think the first year we were just automatically, you know, any farm that was involved was was at the meetings okay, to help yeah. plan it. And then for some reason, I was asked to stay on to help plan future ones, mm-hmm. even though not all of the farm. And I don't remember exactly how that happened, but that's kind of how it was. And so that was kind of, I think, my first formal um, introduction to a committee or or board work okay. as such, um, other than maybe being involved in some committees or whatever at a church level and so right. on but but that was kind of really my first outside of that my first um formal board work and i there's kind of a funny story that goes with that one of the other um committee members was a lady by the name of kelly daynard um she I don't know. She was probably around my, maybe even a little bit younger than than me. She okay. she went on to um, lead an organization I think called Food Care or whatever that kind of um, tries to educate people oh, yeah. on on how food is produced and mm-hmm. all of that within Ontario. Um, I'm not sure what she's doing at this point, but. But she kind of actually went into a vocation that centered around this. Yeah, but, interesting. But um, some years later, uh, well, many years later, um, but it would be, oh, 10 to 15 years ago now, she asked me um, to give a talk to, uh, they on a yearly basis, they did a tour for a bunch of media people out out of um the Toronto area. Okay. They yep. bring a busload of them into the area and visit different farms. Kind of in what we did way back then. Yeah. Um kind of in that line, but it's very specific to this busload of professional writers. Okay. Or um media people. And she had asked me specifically to give a talk um on that road. I was to give kind of to be their one of their they had speakers over lunch as well okay well they had lunch and this was out in stratford and so i was asked to be one of those speakers and um what when she introduced me she um introduced me as as someone that you know some 20 years ago we had worked together on on this committee mm-hmm and when I started talking, I one of the first things I said is I explained to people that what you have to understand about the farming community is that that um, we start our people on committees really, really young. Like I think Kelly and I were both only about six years old when we did that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I... Um, 
looking back, we were quite young. Okay, we yeah. weren't six. So we were probably in our in our early to mid twenties. I don't know, but but yeah, we were quite young. But it was it was a great first experience into working with a diverse group of people. Right, uh, people that until I I um had um sat on that board with I didn't. I don't know if I knew any of them, or I knew very few okay. of them very mm-hmm. well. I knew a few of them. But some of those people I still run into today. Okay. Um, you know, Ralph Schantz, who was the, the Wilma um, mayor for, for many mm. years, um, oh. is, you know, I, I consider him a good friend, and he <laughs> was on that committee, and and uh, there were others <laughs> as well. And, and so it was kind of my first, experience and working with people that I didn't know at all before we sat together. Right. But we had a common goal. We had a common cause. And we um we used our, our various bits of knowledge and, and strength to to make what was at the time a um a very popular and I think smooth running events. Yeah. Yeah. So very good. So, um, is that how kind of a number of the boards or committees that you've sat on, um, is that kind of how they've come from, from around events or things like this that worked, that fit into your, your work, your, um, what you were doing in agriculture and farming and running an orchard, that kind of thing, Ontario food? Yes. So at least, uh, at least four of the boards that I've sat on over the years have been kind of directly related to okay. my work. Yep. Um, three of them really, including that one, um, really centered around local food. Okay. And, and so local food has, has become kind of one of my passions, one of my hobbies. Um, and, and I've had the opportunity to do a fair amount of speaking on okay. on the subject around the province um oh, sometimes it's it's related to also martins and the history of martins and, and so on but speaking at uh, local clubs um seniors groups schools okay um, university classes specifically regarded different aspects of of growing okay. and marketing yep. um just just a, a wide variety of of um, of uh, different organizations over the years environmental organizations okay. whatever um, and uh, you know just with time that is when, when you spend enough time talking about or doing or researching or, or living uh, a certain thing it, it does I guess just automatically become, a bit of a passion and, right and, yeah and so at least three of no sorry four three of three of them very definitely local and one more um it's it's actually one of the two boards that i'm still sitting on today the uh, food processing skills canada which is a, okay. a canadian wide okay. organization um that is geared towards helping food processors um with their skills okay uh human resource management skills uh and so on that one 
that one has kind of an interesting story. Maybe we'll get into it a little bit later. But, um, but yeah, I would say all of those or those four were specifically related to my work, and okay. that's how I. That was the entrance level to how I yeah, got into right. that. Yeah. So do you get uh, do you get asked by the board that's in place, or how do you usually how does it end up that you um, that you get on a board like that? So that that's a good question, and and each board is a little bit different okay. in how how it yeah. works. So some boards are are fairly active at at uh, recruiting. Um, other members okay yep um obviously from within their membership right um, yeah that makes sense but uh, you know they'll they'll kind of go out and ask people if they're interested and and then it depends on their bylaws as to how you actually become a board member so you okay. may have to be elected you know at an annual meeting okay but generally you have a um some pre-warning you've you've been asked ahead of time or nominated by someone or okay, whatever yep. the case may be. So each one is a little bit different. Um, they, and sometimes it's just simply been, <laughs> they, you know, there's sometimes where it, it's just, they need seats <laughs> they need people right, that are yeah. willing, you know, they need, yeah. Um, and, and uh, other times, it's it's more considered a bit of an honor to to do that, and so it's not a matter of of them finding people that are willing, but they're also looking for specific skills, okay, or yep. they're looking for um, you know somebody to represent an area. Oh um, yeah, that makes sense. That, yeah. that especially you know, when it's when covering it's a provincial larger, yeah. or a national. Yeah. Um, that that can be that it, they're looking for an area or a, you know in the national one I represent the fruit fruit and vegetable oh okay um, sector there's okay. others that represent the meat and, mm. and some mm -hmm. that represent fish and some that represent um, beverage okay uh, wow. and you know a whole bunch of different so in that particular board they not only have to see that they have it's about a 14 member board okay. that one they not only have to see that they have representation across the province across the country they also need representation of the different sectors right yeah that particular one i got on because i was first asked um oh it's probably 12 years ago now or okay. more i was first asked to be on a well it's more than 12 since i was asked i was asked to be on a research committee to determine whether the an organization like this was needed at all okay um interesting yeah and and at that point it was set up like a sector council um canada had had at that point had a, a series of sector councils um probably close to 30 that represented all all the different sectors so like there was a mining oh yeah yep. there was an agriculture there was a um retail there was a transportation there's mm -hmm. a tourism you know all of the different sectors each had a sector council and these sector councils were specifically for um the purpose of of uh 
dealing with the human resource issues within oh, their okay. sector. And um, there was a fishery sector council, but there was not a food processing okay. as such. And so they were looking, fisheries was just barely large enough to really do have their own sector council. Okay, yeah. And so they were looking at the possibility of incorporating all of the food processing into that. Yeah. And that's what our committee was. So I was on a, a larger, like uh, it was probably um, close to 20 members from oh, across yeah. Canada that met on three or four different occasions to to look at at all the pros and cons of okay, yep. putting together such an organization. And then eventually it was determined, yes, it was a good idea. The organization was formed. It needed to get government approval to form, and it was formed. And then I was asked to be one of the board members on the initial okay. part of it. So basically, not all, all of the members were, but there was a group of us that, that were asked okay, to yep. be. So that's how I came on that one interesting enough though i only served a year and then and it's a long story i'm not going to go into that now how that all happened but i voluntarily resigned after a year because there was there was too many from my sector oh i see okay um, yep. and and so and then and then about five or six years later there was an opening again or Again, for different reasons that I won't get into, um, that position came open. And then they came and actively asked me if I would be willing to, again, sit on it. Okay. And I've sat on it ever since. Um, so, again, each there there's... there's um, different ways different it happens. Ways. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes yeah. you're elected. Sometimes um, it's kind of appointed. Okay, yeah. So you've served on a number of boards kind of within your sector, within your type of work and in, in food and that kind of thing. Um, are there other types of organizations that you've um, sat on the board as well? Yeah. So um, I have also sat on, uh, so most of these are what you call nonprofit. Right. Even like, the food ones? Even the food yeah. ones. Yeah. They're, they're considered nonprofit. Um, uh, interesting enough, the, the one I was just referring to, even though it's it's a nonprofit, it no longer is a sector council. The sector councils all kind of disappeared or more okay. or less disappeared. The vast majority, and the reason being is that they were they were largely funded by the government. Okay. So the way yeah. they worked is they were given a certain amount of money for what they call core funding, okay. which was to run their offices and to run their immediate staff and their mm -hmm. board costs and so on. But then they applied for projects, which, oh, okay. which um, to do like specific research projects yeah. or maybe writing a safety manual for, oh, you know, yeah, it could be yeah. a whole bunch of different things. Uh, the vast majority of, of the safety stuff and so on out there has been done through projects okay. like that. They'd apply for projects where they'd be given a certain budget and then they'd hire staff or whatever to complete these projects yep. under that. Well, back about about ten years ago, so three or four years after this this um, 
Food Sector Council was formed that mm -hmm. I was part of, um, the government cut all core funding okay. to sector councils. They, and, you know, I, I was not totally against it because I, I think they did a lot of good work in their time, but but there was starting to be a fair amount of overlap Oh, and, yeah. And, and so on. And, you know, there was some 20 sector councils. Okay. And they were, yeah. the core funding for each one of them was anywhere from a low of about a million to a high of about three or four million, depending yeah. on how big a sector it was. So a lot of money going into this, especially. So basically they said, we still will, you can still run your organization. Okay. But you've got to find ways to, to, be sustainable okay. we're not paying anything to keep you going we will still give you projects if you oh you can still apply for, for it yeah. still apply for projects yeah. that are needed but um but uh, we're not doing any core funding most of them just said that's it <laughs> we we can't exist then yeah they you know they had no way we had an executive director that that was really really good okay um and she is um and then her successor was equally good as well and um and she had a vision that you know well, she can run this like a business so even though it's okay. a non-profit she you know looks at everything and says it's it's got to be sustainable and we've got to make enough money to keep right. the organization going and which a non-profit may do a, a non-profit may make a profit they just may not, they, their purpose isn't to make a profit. Their purpose right. is simply to make enough profit to keep themselves operating so they can, they can store up for a rainy day. Okay, <laughs> that say. idea, yeah. yeah. And yeah. you can, like, make money to, to pay a staff and that kind of thing. Oh, right? absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, um, uh, non-profits do hire a lot of people. Right, okay? yeah. So that, but it's just, so it's a little bit different than a charitable, where a charitable, at least in Canada, in the U.S., non-profits and charitables get really mixed up. Oh, I see. There's they a fine. Call their, they call their charitables non-profits. Okay. Um, here we have uh, two distinct differences. I see. We have okay. charitable, which is it, where where you're really... It, it's not profit at all. It's, it's um, yes, charitable can hire staff and so on right. too, but but you you have to be very distinct in the funds that you're pulling in. You, you have to tell the people, this is going to be yeah. used for this. This is going to be used yeah. for that. And you don't really, um, you know, you do fundraisers, you might say, but, but you're not... Um, running a business for the or or whatever yeah. for the purpose of, whereas a not-for-profit it's not charitable you can't give out charitable receipts right okay for the money coming in so generally how a not-for-profit works is either through membership dues of an organization okay. that yep. they're serving or organizations yep. that they're serving or or they have they're offering some kind of service where mm -hmm. they're making just enough on to be sustainable. 
Okay. But in in essence, the the difference is though that you cannot give out charitable receipts, even if people make donations to it. Gotcha. Uh, so is there still a tax break compared to a for profit? Yeah. Organization. So a not for profit so doesn't have to pay income tax on the money. There. Okay. Yeah. So if they do, so on a given year, if they at the end of the year they came through with a hundred thousand dollar profit. Yeah. They they don't have to declare it as, in, I mean they still have to do an income statement right, yeah. and everything. They have declared it, but they don't have to pay tax on it. Yeah, so there's um, an advantage to being a not not for profit. Yeah, yes. yeah, that makes sense. Um, but there's certain classifications that you come into. So if a not for profit would all of a sudden be um, have millions of dollars in the bank, and and whatever, yeah, there's a certain point where they might their their not for profit status might be challenged. Some but, questions might yeah, start being asked. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. you know, at this point even a million dollars, depending on the size of an organization, yeah. you know, might only keep you running for a year if in fact you had a bad year. So. Yeah. So the a lot of those organizations that you've been talking about already, are they not for profits but not charitable organizations? Yeah, Is that right? so okay. most commonly, I've been on a few charitable, but most commonly, most of the organizations that I've sat on have been not for profit. I, I've had at least one corporate okay. um, mm -hmm. that I sat on, which I'll again talk about in a little bit. Um, that was that one is related to insurance of all things. Okay. Uh, so very different than, than some of my other experiences. Um, and, and I have on a few charitable, like the other one that I'm sitting on presently is actually an arts organization. So it's, um, Oasis Corral, right. which is, um, you know, very different than, than, uh, anything else I've ever done. Okay. And I wasn't so much brought on because um of my ability to in this case sing. Mm -hmm. Um even though I do love good music, especially good choral music and have loved that for many, many years. Um it was more because of my um board experience uh, when they okay. a number yep. of years back were looking to become a little bit more organized and they formed an official board that um, they were just looking for for some board experience and uh, that's why I was brought on okay. in that case. Mm -hmm. So specifically um, for what that's, you know, what I bring, which, which as I said earlier, is, is often um, a reason why, why boards will will look or a good board will will look at what are the deficiencies when they're looking for new members mm -hmm. they'll look at what are their deficiencies what are the skills or the talents that they presently need to 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 bring to the board level to add to whatever it is that they're promoting or doing yeah and and then use that as their criteria as to who who they will ask okay yeah so rather than just filling a seat, trying to, to find someone that will um, complement the other um, members well and fill in gaps and things like that. Correct. that uh, and and that's a key, key factor, gaps. Yeah. You know, where, where, are the, where are the skill gaps in the organization 
um, what what do we need? You know, is do we need somebody um, in finance? You know that oh, yeah. that will give us um, a better handle of of our finances. Mm-hmm. Do we need somebody that's especially skilled at at fundraising? Right. Um, maybe we need somebody that has an into a certain group of people that we're targeting to to become part of our organization has a relationship uh, that, there or something right, yeah exactly. yeah yeah so um well you've you've uh, mentioned that um that or just kind of mentioned a little bit some of the boards that you've um that you've served on or currently serving on um did you want to were you going to talk some about a little more on some of the um what those organizations are like or just some of your experiences with them or um, is that, did you kind of say what you wanted to about, about that specifically? Uh, yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know that I have a lot to say specifically about any of them. Probably the, the corporate experience, the insurance mm-hmm. experience that I had was unique and, and different from a lot of the others in the sense that it was a, a for-profit yeah. um, organization. And that one started out mainly because I was a, I was a director in a mutual aid company, um, which wasn't actually an insurance company, but provided mutual aid to the Mennonite community through uh, through um, for for property um, value. So it, it was okay. kind of instead of insurance, you could have. Uh, um, policy as it were they didn't call them policies but but it's really more or less what they were okay yeah um for you know property uh, fire and and storm and so on um and i was a director for our church um the way it was set up this is back in the 90s and this was an old organization that went back to mid 1800s i think it started okay. in 1865 wow so it was in process um it was doing stuff almost before insurance companies were even a thing okay um it it was it was that that old yeah um but it did it uh specifically to a faith community they they did the in in ontario they served primarily it started out primarily the local Mennonite community, but it expanded throughout Canada. And okay. We also wrote a fair amount of policies in uh, northern New York State as well. Okay. Um, and it, it, um, the way they kind of worked is is each congregation, um, had a director and oh, you, yeah. you wrote sometimes there were not every congregation had one. So sometimes directors wrote for, for people outside of their immediate church. Okay. Group. And, and obviously people move around to different churches and so on and not, they didn't necessarily switch directors just okay, because yeah. they switched churches. And so there were, um, you know, with time, it wasn't, necessarily that you had just your own people from your church but but our the church that i was part of at that point in time um what was happening in that organization is a lot of the directors were getting older okay retirement age or older and and weren't really looking to take on new people 
and we had a fair amount of young families in in our group that that were um you know buying homes or whatever right, yeah. and so we didn't have our own director and we asked if you know the church wondered if it'd be all right if we would and so i was given that responsibility then um back i think in 94 okay so when i started that and and um, immediately a bunch of directors just handed me their book of business of people that were from our church um and so i started off with about 40 oh wow members um and built that up to i think just under 100 over a period of six or seven years um and uh then in the around 2000 um and i won't get into all the details but there were factors that that started to make there was starting to be a fair amount of pressure at that point in time some of it actually came from insurance companies because even though we were not an insurance company we weren't a licensed insurance company we were providing the services for all intents and purposes of an insurance company. Yeah, right. And and so there was getting to be some pressure. It was it was looked like unfair competition. Okay. Um and and so it was decided that, you know, perhaps we should become a licensed insurance company. Okay. Um, you know, to to meet all the criteria um of the law. And you know, I, I still have some mixed feelings about that. I I I was supportive of it for the organization where it was at, and I won't get into all those reasons. Yeah. But I, you know, there were some things about it. Quite frankly, we weren't, even though we joined up with a whole bunch in the U.S. of similar organizations, about ten organizations joined oh, together. Even yeah. so, we were for all intents and purposes, still a very small insurance company. Right. And um, there there were all kinds of things that came into play there. But one thing it did for me is I certainly learned a lot about the insurance industry. I believe it. I, wow. actually, oh. I actually took a, a, an agent's course okay. here in well, Ontario for you. Um, that I, you know, I never became a licensed agent, but I could have if I would have accepted a job okay. in, mm-hmm. uh, in a local agency or insurance company, which I actually had one offer. Um, but, you know, I, I learned enough about it to know that I wouldn't have really been happy in the job, even okay. though I did well at the at the thing. But it it was that you know I figured if I'm going to be on the board of one of these, I better at least yeah. understand insurance. And and I again I eventually sat on a board that was um, international in folk like it is U.S. Okay. Canada. It was centered out of Kansas. Uh, meant a lot of trips over the years. So this to isn't Kansas City. This isn't that um, that organization then that that the mutual aid group that you were a part of joined with there was it was that one that was that okay yeah i sat on the executive for the last few years that uh mutual aid so they had the out of the directors out of the 60 some directors they had a five person board executive oh okay yeah okay um, and I was elected onto that just right. for the last, I think, two or three years that it existed. Okay. And um, kind of saw it, was involved in its 
closing up okay. <laughs> shop yeah. as it were which was also a different experience yeah and then went on to sit on first initially some there was the board work of the bigger organization was made up of several smaller boards okay um because there were different parts of the organization yeah but eventually i ended up sitting on the actual um national international um main board okay and did that for about six or seven years until eventually they sold off their canadian um part of the business oh okay um and that's when i um came off of that one okay so it was a for-profit corporation that at, was at a for-profit cor- corporation okay yeah, yeah. yeah. so what well, maybe just uh from your experience what um what's kind of the goal of a corporation having a board like um, I, I kind of get why a nonprofit or charitable organization has a board to to run things or govern things, but what's yeah, what's the purpose for a for-profit business? Yeah, that's a good question, and and it's it's different for for, I mean the the stated goal may be slightly different okay. for different organizations. Yeah. However, uh, really when it gets down to it, I would I would argue that the, the goal should be should center around much the same thing and really not that much different than nonprofits or such like I think sometimes um, boards for nonprofits and and so on are also misunderstood as to what their actual role is okay um, and sometimes it's the way it's set up so very small um, not-for-profits you you know a board, may almost be like a working board yeah where they do everything and that's okay. that's why my experience on a very small charitable organization board is we kind of are the, the yeah and and ideally i would argue that that's not necessarily ideal mm-hmm. i mean i understand sometimes it's almost a um, a necessity if you're a very small organization and you can't afford to hire staff and so on. Right. And and yeah, a lot of organizations do start out that way. Um, I would call that a working board. Okay. Yep. Um, and uh, the people, if you're going to be on that type of a board, yeah, you need to have a fair amount of drive and, and a fair amount of commitment because... Um, that it it can take a lot of time you Mm -hmm. you're you're putting in a lot of volunteer time to do everything right yeah book work to to uh you name it fundraising a more ideal scenario is where you actually have staff Mm -hmm. that are doing the the day-to-day work and they're they're um they're making the decisions um on running the organization and everything where and the board is there primarily to give vision Mm -hmm. and direction and to be the overseeing hiring body of the executive okay so by the executive by executive it i mean and that can vary It, it you know obviously that depends on the organization um, in a lot of boards that I am, the only people that they really, they, they really only hire one person and that is the CEO. Okay. Yeah. Uh, or the president or whatever, however you have a structure, right, yep. what you call, 
um, the the main person, and then the CEO is is responsible for hiring everyone. Okay. Yep. Often that CEO will sit in and on all meetings except for um, what are termed in in board lingo as in camera sessions. Okay. Um, occasionally, um, and I would argue that all boards should have at least a few, one or two in-camera sessions a year, which simply means um, sessions where only official board members right. are present. So they're, they're closed board meetings to, mm-hmm. to, you know, other board meetings, you might have other staff sit into as they, okay. as they're needed or as they're relevant. So yeah. it can be like senior management. Yeah. I've sat on boards where you have almost as many senior management sitting around as you actually have board. Okay. Yep board members and that's fine they don't have a vote but they bring they bring the reports of what's happening to the meeting so that you can um, make decisions yeah, and, yeah. and and make relevant give relevant advice yeah. um, but you're not actually running the organization that that is the job of of the hired staff right yeah and so to get to your question why would a corporate board or a corporate organization need a board well first of all if a if a if a corporate organization is publicly owned yeah like like uh, publicly traded by, and yeah, yeah exactly um then i i i'm not totally totally clear on on what the and mandate is exactly in an organization like that but i'm guessing in most cases it's they would have from the from the owners from the shareholders they elect um people to represent them on this board right often in those public oh and there's there's certain shareholders that own massive amounts of and so obviously they'll have more say as to who sits on the board yeah. um, than somebody that might just hold two or three shares. Right. Okay. Um, and and that's often so. Those in the, in that case, it's probably I'm I'm assuming it's law that they have to have a board. Yeah, I think that, so. That is that represents um, the interests of the shareholders. So it's basically the owners of the representation. Represent- yeah, it's of the representation of, of the of the owners. Yeah. Now, there are um, privately owned corporations, um, especially larger privately owned corporations that have boards. Yeah, and and in that case, it's more of a it's it's an advisory type thing. Okay. Yeah. So they'll they'll pay other professionals. It might might be um, even. CEOs of other companies, right? Um, or whatever. Often it'll be, you know, not necessarily somebody that has a direct uh, conflict of interest, you okay. know, whatever yeah. it'd be, you know, that that wouldn't. But it, but it may be an owner of another company that's totally different. But they're they they bring them in as as advisors, and they pay them considerable amounts of money okay. i'm not you know um 
part of I, I haven't been part of many boards that I, where you actually get paid okay. um, to per se you know to actually do other than maybe a per diem or whatever yeah but um, but you know their their per diems on some of those boards will be quite high okay but they're paying for the expertise and the advice that that these people bring okay. or in some cases it might even be the prestige so they'll uh, yeah. they'll hire you know former politicians or um big name people um you know and they just they want that they that can person. say we have we yeah have him or, or her on or our board they have and, and sometimes it's for their lobbying ability that they have with oh, governments yeah. or whatever um those can all be reasons um in in the case of the insurance company, it was owned by its policy owners. Okay. And so we as board members were representatives um, largely for the policy owners okay. um, yep. that we rep- we represented them as, as the, um, as, you know, their interests right. is what we were supposed to Was it to like do. a co-op? Kind of, or kind of. It it was uh, it was a set up a bit different than a co-op in, okay. in legally language, but yeah. it was in that that that's the closest yeah. thing to to you can kind of think of it in that way. Yeah, no, very now, good. It, it was a mutual company, so there's okay there's slightly different ways yeah. of how co-ops and mutuals are set up, but but that gets into into the weeds and legal yeah. stuff. Well, no, thanks for asking or answering my question there on uh, kind of what some of the just what sure. some of the general differences yeah. are between between some of those. Um, and yeah, we might hear more about um, some of your experiences as we talk about it. But I thought maybe you could share some of from your experience. What's what do you see as, as some of the key things um, for a good functioning board? Um, and it's probably different depending on on what the. The, how the board's set up or what it's what it's doing, but are there maybe some general principles that you've observed um, over the years that um, that would help to or that you see as being good things for a board to to function well? So as I as I said earlier, um, I see the board's primary function is to to be a visionary to to look at at um where an organization can improve mm-hmm. can become more efficient can can grow as the case may be mm-hmm. um all within the the vision that's been prescribed and in some cases um i've been on quite a number of organizations that were just starting up so a big part of our initial job was to develop that vision right yeah. you know what are we about and so on and to do that, you need a variety of people. Yeah. Um, you need different uh, talents, different expertise, different experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so a, a good board has has um, a good variety within that board. Okay. Yeah. Um, that whether it's you know. And it, Again, it can be for lots of different reasons. Some some of it can be, if it's over an area, it can be expertise that you bring from a certain culture or from a certain okay. area, mm-hmm. um, geographical area. Yeah. It can be expertise that you bring from a particular um, 
uh, way of life or, or skill set. Okay. Um, and and so variety is is a good thing because what you're what you're doing, one of the things that you need well, uh, a board's main purpose when they meet is expressing ideas to each other. Okay. Putting those ideas out on the table, and and hashing them out, and mm-hmm. and saying, okay, you know, we we get all of this information together, and now we make decisions based on that. If you have a board that totally thinks one hundred percent alike, they all come from basically the same right, yep. same experience, um, whatever. <laughs> That might, for a while, it might seem, well, that, that's a great thing because we all think alike and so we're really going to get things done yeah. because we're all so focused on. But the problem is, is that um, uh, there, there becomes almost like an inbred uh, tendency where, and you're liable very, you become very vulnerable to dangerous blind spots. Okay. Yeah. And and so, again, in my opinion, a big purpose of a board is to to bring that varied experience okay. together, and and then based on that, you have a much better chance of making good decisions okay. for the organization as a whole so you so you'd say one of the top priorities of a board is to have a good good mix a good variety a good diversity of, of members um from different experiences um coming together like that's something that that a board should should keep as the one of the top priorities when forming when when bringing in members yes i would say so now um, I qualify that with saying that the other thing that you need is to whatever the the focus of the organization is, you need people that have that passion. Okay. So yeah. so you don't just bring people on. So in the case of of the oasis of the of the music um, mm-hmm. thing that I have, the you know, I, I found out after the fact, and I was highly suspicious when I was first approached that that's what they were after. But I also knew that they wouldn't be satisfied with just somebody that had board experience. They needed somebody that also had a passion for choral music. Right, okay. Okay, yeah. that saw this as, you know, something that was worth investing and spending time in that yeah. that saw it as a good thing you know if if my maybe my my um you know i like a a good variety of music i i can i can listen to a lot of different music mm-hmm. and enjoy it but if i would have been really geared to say southern gospel for example and that would have been what i really really liked and right. what i listened to 95 percent of the time maybe this wouldn't have been the board for me okay okay yeah because um the idea that i have a passion for this type of music just wouldn't have been there yeah so so i think you do need people with a passion mm-hmm. for whatever it is that the board is or the organization is focused on doing but 
within that, there's still lots of room for differences of opinion right. and, and different outlooks that can be brought together to, to make that organization stronger. Yeah, and is that the reason that often boards will govern themselves or have in their bylaws that there has to be a turnover or at least some, some kind of turnover at, at a regular basis or that you can only serve for a certain length of time or you, you're up for um, renewal or you, they have to, you have to get revoted on or something like that um, at, a, at a regular time. Is that to, to kind of keep it, it fresh or the ability to bring variety on it at different points? Yes, I. In fact, this is this is a pet peeve of mine. I I have seen organizations literally almost um, disintegrate. Okay. Because of um, keeping um, board members on almost indefinitely. Okay. One of the early organizations that I sat on, I was never actually officially a director or board member, but I was a committee man um, on this organization for many years. Um, and the way this organization, it was an Ontario-wide organization. Um, it was called the Apple Ontario Apple Commission. Okay. And it was responsible for the Apple growing and marketing of Terry Apple Marketing Commission is responsible for the growing and marketing of of apples okay. across yep. Ontario, and and it was made up of nine different districts in Ontario, and each of the districts, the growers within each district elected um, five members okay. that were called committee men, and then those committee men picked one of them selves to be the director officially representing okay, yeah. the and and so there would be you know eight or nine meetings throughout the year of the directors and then uh several of those meetings, maybe about two or three of them all the committee men were invited to attend as well oh, okay yep so you were kind of a an underling yeah. board member you might say um and i sat on that organization for probably a little over 10 years as a committee man okay um, it also, so there was the nine director boards, and then I think there was three directors that were, were at large from, that were elected at large from all the committee men. Plus there were like five directors that were like marketers specifically okay. yep. that were, came in a different way, which, um, dad would have been one of those, um, for a time on there. Oh, okay. And then I think Sandy was as well. Wow. Um, and, and there was also some processing directors and I think there was a consumer director and a retail, it was a big organization, yeah, sounds like it. but here was the problem they had from the time that, that organization started for the first 25 years of its existence, they had one chairman, okay. one president and a lot of the same directors for mm -hmm. many, many years, they were just they were reelected and and he was a good person he was a very capable person he knew the industry he had had i think initially had a really good vision yeah but it became like i said it became extremely inbred and after a while it was like what he said or nothing happened oh and yeah. and it became and eventually 
it tore the organization oh, really? apart. Okay. Eventually, there was enough resistance to what it was, and eventually, it just drove to so that the organization was was literally disintegrated. It hmm. was it was um, it was made void, and eventually, it was re- resurrected as a growers only, but not a marketing anymore. It didn't oh, have I the see. marketing powers that were behind it, and so on, um, which. I think was actually a good thing in my mind, okay. but but um, but that organization I saw kind of the slow death of it. Interesting, yeah. Not because he wasn't a good person. I think he had a lot of good ideas, but it, it you become blinded by one person's, and and I don't care who you are, and how good you are. A a board is only as good as the the ability to bring those varied ideas and to hmm. look for blind spots within. And if you are, have the same people year after year after year, you do develop blind spots. Yeah. And, and the other thing that also becomes dangerous, um, if on top of that, you also have the same top staff, executive staff hmm. year mm-hmm. after year after year, then it becomes even more important that the board at least oh, yeah. is buried because yeah, you might have a, a, a CEO that is extre- extremely good at their job and you may decide, you know, they're, they're doing a good job. But if you have the same CEO and let's say the same chairman of the board for 20 years, mm-hmm. after a while they become good friends yeah. Almost for sure, okay? Yeah, right. And they become so good friends that when, you know, if if there's things that need to be said, need to be done to, you know, everybody becomes comfortable in their yeah. thing and it becomes dead to to what is what I would say in all organizations is needed change, needed um foresight and when there are issues it almost becomes uncomfortable to deal with them because the friendship has yeah. almost overrid the professional relationship. Right. And yeah. and that's very dangerous. And so while I say that in initial sometimes and sometimes it happens by default, because initially when an organization starts up, there there is importance there is a, to a certain degree that it is important that that initial passion mm-hmm. and that initial vision stays current long enough to get that organization yeah, on good some, footing. There are some benefits to continuity exactly. in, that, in those cases. And, yeah. and so the best boards in my mind um, will allow for a certain amount of continuity, like maybe, you know, a second term, mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, having two five-year concurrent um, success, uh, successive terms, but they have to get revoted on maybe at that. Yeah. At the the middle one. So you do have a chance to replace in the case Mm of, uh, where, where you need some, something new or a new skill set or whatever the case may be. But, but I say that even for, for that, like to go more than 10 years, even for a new organization, Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe, to put it something in the bylaws that you can bring someone back on for for success of you know after a ter- uh, year or two off okay yep. is not wrong 
um, because you just maybe there's within a certain community a certain skill set is kind of rare and you need that yeah. to give you that opening but to be very careful with it and yeah. because i have literally seen organizations really really hurt and i by by having board members um stay on way too long yeah and it's why i personally refuse um to to stay on even if it's allowed in the bylaws i i basically almost refuse to stay on for more than two terms or i really okay. fight yep. it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there has to be a really good yeah. reason well just um in my short experience there's been a few times where i think i kind of get into a maybe a rut or something like that where i think that that the way we have it now is is the best that it's going to be and it's not not that um, things are, are going poorly, but I've been surprised several times where I've, I've thought, oh, this, is, this isn't going to go work, work well when someone in a key position moves on or gets replaced or something like that. Um, I've been amazed at how often the person that steps in brings a different skill set, brings a different passion or maybe slightly different vision but but often will will do really well and it's it's often a good thing when when some of those turnover happens and and that kind of thing so um yeah maybe it's it's it, it even if if it doesn't go on super long like some of the situations you've been talking about maybe it, there are good things that can come from that change and that turnover and that that new blood one one of the lessons in life um that i think are um it's really important that someone or in my opinion, it's important that they learn early. And that is that nobody is, is, um, irreplaceable, yeah. you know, and if you think you are, um, you, uh, you probably should take a, a closer look at, at what you really think about yourself. Yeah. I, I understand, uh, particularly, um, uh, an organization that's in its early stages or whatever, I understand that you know certain people are very valuable to it, and and um, an organization can be quite vulnerable at times based on that. But but literally, that is actually part of the board's responsibility to ensure that that an organization does not become too vulnerable to that type of thing mm -hmm. where they're too dependent on one person because um, if that is the case, we all know that that can all change overnight. Yeah. Um, none of us will live forever. Mm -hmm. And um, and so it's, it's very, very, you know, a, a healthy organization is one that, that sees, um, that's, that has, has mapped out plans for mm -hmm. those type of scenarios and whether it's board members whether it's executive staff or whatever has a contingency plan um in yeah. place um because otherwise you really make the the organization vulnerable and and so yes that's one of the things there are of course other things that that are in my opinion um good for uh, are needed for a good good board working yeah um another thing in in my again my so a lot of the boards that i work and then i and i prefer to work on a 
what I would call a consensus type okay. environment. What do you mean by that? Uh, where where you work really hard at getting everybody on the same page. Okay. And you make decisions by consensus. So you 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 discuss something maybe sometimes for hours or mm-hmm. maybe over the period of a few board meetings. But eventually you all agree that this is the road of okay. action that we're going to take. Um, and you know, maybe you have a formal vote, but it's almost a formality okay. at that yep. point because you've all, with time, you may have started out from three or four different perspectives, mm-hmm. uh, looked at three or four different options, maybe even had, you know, three or four different preferences of options that you were going to take. But in the end, after talking through mm-hmm. different ideas, you arrive at a consensus that this way is the best. Okay. Now, yeah. that's... That's ideal. Right. That's wonderful. In reality, it doesn't always work that way, or it very seldom works that way, actually. You, okay. You often actually have to get to a place where you take a vote and, and you decide then. Mm-hmm. But but even then, um, and and this is the other side, so it's, it's all right to be the odd man out. What you don't want in a board is you don't want a, a bunch of yes men, mm-hmm. you or women. You want you want people that that are not afraid to voice their opinions, mm-hmm. even if it's a minority opinion. Right. And you know, I have been the only person to vote no okay. on on situations. But when when the when the decision is made, that's when you let it go. Right, yeah. Okay. You don't keep like trying to fight no, for it. No, yeah. you know, you, you, you know, if you if you can't live with the group decision, you probably shouldn't be on that board. Okay, yeah. Um, and so, so you you do need to be able to work as a team member, but the primary thing of a board is not to be a yes person, but rather to be a person that actually brings out different opinions if that's mm-hmm. necessary because that's what you're there for. Right, yeah. You're you're yeah. there to to bring out these things that not everybody else thought of. Yeah. You and it's your unique perspective that makes you valuable to the board. Yeah. So, um another key part of being a board member is being able to think mm-hmm. for yourself. And think outside the box, if you want to use that cliche. Right, yeah. But uh, at the same time, then, to be a team member. When a decision yeah. is made, you um, you get in there and and uh, you support it and you, you go from there. Yeah. Um, and so those are, those are, again, are what I would call key factors of mm-hmm. being on on a board another another very key factor if you're going to say yes to an invitation to be on a board mm-hmm. is you need to be available oh yeah um if you if you know that you're not going to be able to attend half the board meetings because you know you have too many other yeah. commitments or you're too busy uh, you have no business saying yes to being mm-hmm. on that board in the first place. For one thing, it's probably not enough of a passion of yours. Yeah. <laughs> um, not a priority. You know, 
the fact of the matter is good board members are busy people. You mm -hmm. know, they, they tend to be people that have a lot going um, because they, they are, you know, they have different skills that, that are needed and wanted in different places. Um, it's all right to be busy, but when you commit to being on a board, um, you need to be at those meetings. Yeah. And, and so a board that's properly run is, is going to plan their meetings out, give enough notice for when they are and mm -hmm. so on, so that, so that you can plan your itinerary so that it doesn't factor into that. But then you, you, it's kind of then your responsibility to, to make sure that you plan the rest of your life around that. Right. Yeah. Um, obviously there's, there's always those emergency things yeah. that happen. We all understand that. Um, but I would argue that if, if you're missing more than, more than one or two board men, men meetings a year, mm -hmm. that you're not really doing your job. Okay. Yeah. Um, a lot of boards only meet two, three, four, five times a year. Some, some that I sit on only meet twice a year. Okay. Um, and, uh, in one case, um, we meet only one time a year face to face. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so, so if you are not present at those meetings, you're, you're basically out of the loop. Yeah. You're just yeah. not. And, and your ability then to really bring pertinent advice and suggestions becomes extremely limited. Right. Even missing one meeting, if you're just meeting together once a year, you're you're kind of two years behind once yeah, you get to exactly. the next one. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. so so I would say a very key part of sitting on a board is, is being available. Mm -hmm. um, your attendance record on that board, I mean, if I'm looking for board members or whatever, and I... You know, one of the things I would be asking is, what is your attendance record on, on previous boards? Mm -hmm. um, uh, I, I'm, I myself am not not happy with myself if I miss even one meeting. Okay. Yep. I, I can, I think, count on one hand, the meetings that I've missed mm -hmm. at boards that I've sat on, um, in the last twenty years. Um, yeah. And I don't say that as, you know, that I'm better than other people, but I, for myself, it is, it is just a high priority. Yeah. If I've said yes to being on a board, um, then I think I owe it to that board to be at as many of the meetings as possible. Yeah. And that, that makes a lot of sense, um, that, that don't commit to it in the, or don't agree to, to serve on a board if you're not committed to to being there it's a simple <laughs> simple decision at that point is what right. is what you should be making yeah yeah um you've uh, mentioned a number of things here did you have other advice for uh for board members that you wanted to share um the only other thing is yeah be flexible in in the roles that you're asked to play okay um mm -hmm. again i it, i alluded to this before but i think the chair position or any of the other executive positions mm -hmm. on the board, whether that's a secretary or treasurer, depending again how the board is set up. Right. Um, sometimes staff people will will fill in some of those right. Yeah. Um, 
actual rules, but, you know, taking minutes and all of that stuff. But, but as far as, um, as far as, uh, you know, being willing to, to fill in those roles, depending on your talents, not mm-hmm. everybody is geared or, you know, has what it takes necessarily to be a chair and you don't need everyone to, to be able to do that position. Right. But, but the chair position is not so much, uh, I don't see it so much as a boss position mm-hmm. as I see it as um, the position of trying to facilitate mm-hmm. discussion and so on. Um, the way most bylaws uh, for boards of chair generally doesn't um, have a vote okay. unless it's a tiebreaker. Right. Um, so, but that doesn't mean that He's not free to give his opinion okay. and so on. He should, just like any other board member. Um, he's leading out. A chair, the the work of a chair is obviously, and it varies again depending on organizations. I've been part, I've even chaired organizations where this executive director did a lot of the legwork, you know. Okay, yep. Set up the with my approval the agenda of meetings mm-hmm. and all of that stuff and you know certainly that's nice when yeah. <laughs> when you have that i've also been part of where the, where the chair had to do all of that and so on and and so it, it's extra commitment but um invariably it's it's like i say it's not so much a boss role as a facilitator yeah. role and i think that's important to remember the other thing, um, and this isn't so much uh, a thing about board members, but more about how boards work. I personally like a degree of formality. Okay. Yeah. Um, in board work, now I'm not a stickler for you know that Robert's rules. Yeah, whatever, I make a motion or, or whatever. Yeah. Or whatever. Well. Are, are exactly enforced mm-hmm. uh, however am however i yeah when it gets down to you know op- important decisions i think that at least it's it's good if in the bylaws that there are certain things so motions mm-hmm. seconded um discussion voted on and all the things that go around that if some of that is followed the reason so again, you, you know, I talked earlier that I prefer consensus type things. Yeah. But even then, you still need that formal motion to to enact something, to yeah. make it official, to add it into the minutes, to give it re- official responsibility so that it can come back and know this decision was made and so on. Yeah. And yeah. where it becomes especially important is when there are disagreements or oh, when there yeah. are you know, differences of opinion, you need to have that that organizational rule-based thing to come back at so that it doesn't just become a free-for-all so yeah. that, you know, the the biggest personality in the room right. eventually yeah. calls the shots or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Um, because that's what happens if you don't have effective rules. Yeah. The, other, the other thing, the larger the organization the larger the group sitting around the board Mm -hmm. the more important it is that you have um some 
a semblance of order. Yeah. And I have I have seen where very very large organizations have their their meetings and they follow those rules right down to a T. Okay. And and I've seen why it's so necessary. Yeah. If you see one of those working, if you wouldn't have those rules, it would just be a disaster. You yeah. know, there would be you would never get anything done. Is there even a procedure to who speaks next and that kind of thing? Oh, there necessarily... can be. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, it can be very precise as to exactly how that's all okay. done. I mean, there's you can make it as as precise or as open as you want on a lot of right. those things. But but having certain procedures and, and rules in place as to how things done are done at meetings really facilitates towards orderliness. Yeah. And even towards more effectively coming to decisions yeah. and so on, rather than having things drag on forever. Oh, for sure. Like um, even from a on some small committees that I've been on or or led, even I found that that the the more you followed just little rules like that, it's really clear on what was what decisions we came to, what what who's job it is to do something going forward or something like that yeah. i i just find it so much clearer if if we uh take the time to go through some of those procedures it is. and it, it can even save a lot of time now i mean that is where a chair often can really help to facilitate the speed of a meeting yeah but it's a fine line because you you do want to give people opportunity to to voice themselves um, where the chair's responsibility is once it starts to be repetitious, once yeah. you start to have the same things being said, you know, it's time to just yeah. call a vote, you know, or, or move on as the case may be. You, that's The chair can do a lot to, to keep things moving if they in yeah. those situations. And I don't claim to have figured that all out <laughs> yet. I tend to be a bit long-winded, as you can tell here. And, uh, and so I have to be careful myself yeah. in, in situations like that. But Yeah, very good. Um, yeah, I think we'll, uh, we're getting close to time to uh, wrap it up here. And um, at the end, I'll just give you a couple minutes if there's anything that you wanted to say yet that you didn't have a chance to. But um, not everyone that listens to this will probably be serving on a board or um, have, have served on a board. So do you have any advice to non-board members that are involved in an organization or um, people that might interact with boards, whether it's uh, being uh, maybe interacting with a charitable organization or in other ways, that kind of thing. Do you have any advice for non-board members in their interactions with an organization? Well, um, I, I would say, first of all, you're, if you are, you know, if you have a concern about an organization or, or how an organization is operating, maybe you have questions about it. Generally speaking, the person or the people to go to are the staff themselves. Okay. I, I'm talking about outsiders that aren't necessarily working for right. directly. Yep. You know, the staff, that's your first. And if you are a staff person working under a CEO or whatever, you don't directly, in most cases, you don't directly answer to the board. Right. You answer to the, the CEO that doesn't mean that you can't, in either case, that you couldn't at times direct concerns or whatever to to the board okay. if you figure yeah. that it's a, like this this is a policy issue, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would say that's the difference. So if, if you're, if you're dealing with, um, with a day to day, um, operating issues, mm-hmm. then you, you should be dealing at the staff level. If you're dealing with, um, with, uh, significant, um, philosophy issues mm-hmm. or, you know, the, the actual, um, uh, not operation of what's the word I'm looking for. Uh, but actually the, the nature of the board and, and those types of things, mm-hmm. that's, I think when you maybe have, have an avenue to, to, to speak specifically to okay. the board. Yep. Um, more and, on the things that they're dealing with, like the board's more on vision and yeah, exactly. Some of those bigger say, things. Yeah. Say if it's if it has to do with those vision issues, um, uh, those types of things, um, or you know if it specifically has to do with with the CEO, because right. that is as yeah, I said true. before. Again, you know, going in, you know. Um, if you're really interested and really concerned about it, you know, finding out what, what the board's, um, what the organization's actual uh, organization looks like, what their organizational chart looks like and so on mm-hmm. can all be helpful yeah. and, and should be things that are available to you as a member of that organization or as an interested person, if you're a contributor or whatever, those things should all be available to you. Um, and, uh, and that can be helpful as to know how, who and what to address. Right. Yeah. But, um, board, you know, sometimes board boards will specifically put out requests to broader membership for input and so mm-hmm. on. And certainly those are definitely times where, um, whether it's at annual meetings in the form of a survey or, <laughs> or whether it's, you know, later phone calls or, or emails, um, boards do really, really value, at least boards that I have sat on, they, they value the input. Often they can hardly get enough of it. Yeah. Uh, from the broader organization and anything that you can suggest. And if you have interest in, you know, maybe if a person is interested in becoming a board member, um, if you're a younger person out there and you think, you know, I, I'd like to be involved in, mm-hmm. in forming and, and run, helping to, to, um, to uh, grow these organizations and you think you would bring something to it, you know, that can be a great place to start. Show interest, you yeah. know, where there's opportunities, you know, going to the annual meetings or going to other meetings that are open to the public and filling in those questionnaires, you know, even signing your name to it. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if that's an option, you know, letting know that you're really interested, having discussions, asking questions. Yeah. Um, sometimes just, whatever um boards take note of people like that okay yeah. and they keep them in mind for future reference when they're looking for replacements yeah no it's it's very good yeah well uh i've i've uh, appreciated and um enjoyed the hearing the things that you've um had to share um is there anything else that you uh wanted to say yet before we wrap it up 
I don't think so. I I enjoyed my time. It went uh, a lot faster than I was expecting. <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, I I can't imagine you know somebody actually listening to this. It won't seem like it went that quick. I'm sure, but <laughs> but um, I I enjoyed it. One of the things I'll say in relation to this board and giving direction, it's something that my dad said. Um, I remember him saying when I and. I bet dad was barely 50 when he said this. He was much younger, so obviously I was probably only in my teens. I don't remember exactly. But I remember him saying something to the effect that that life is kind of funny. He said, you know, up until the time you're 50, he said... Yeah, people kind of, you know, they, they'll listen to your opinions or whatever. And, but, but in reality, you can tell that they think, yeah, you're, you're a little bit too young. You really don't know what you're talking about. You don't have the experience or whatever. And, and then you hit 50 and all of a sudden everybody wants your opinion. (laughs) And, you know, you, they kind of think that you should know something because you've been around and then all of a sudden you're 60 and now you're just out of it. You don't really know what's going on. And, so, and I thought at the time, ah, that's a bit cynical. But, you know, there there is, a, there is some truth to it um, in the sense that that's kind of how life is. There, there, there is value in experience. There's no doubt about it. Right. Um, we, we can learn from people that have gone through some things and experience. But... Having said that, I, I, I've sat on boards. The last while I've sat on boards where often I'm one of the oldest board members on it. Okay. I don't feel very old, and I really am excited and I value some of the the youthfulness, um, the idealism that comes with youth, and, and the perspectives that they bring to the board. So don't ever let somebody tell you that that you you know, don't know anything just based on your age or your experience <laughs> at the same time or, or vice versa, that you're too old, that you can't contribute, you know, um, we, obviously every, we, we have our peaks. There's no doubt about right. it, but, but also don't, don't disvalue what experience brings right, and yeah. so on. And, and, um, you know, if you are, are called to to be part of an organization, to to sit on a board or whatever, um, enjoy it, make the best of it. It can be. I I value over the years. I have made just tons of acquaintances. Mm-hmm. Some people who are my friends long after we aren't oh, serving yeah. on a board anymore. From a wide variety of people that I feel has just broadened my perspective of life in a way that that has enriched me and, and allowed me to be a much fuller, better person mm, yeah. because of it. Um, and I wouldn't give up those relationships for for anything, for, mm. you know, that they, they are just extremely valuable. And that is maybe a side benefit yeah. of being on a board, but, but it certainly has been one for me. And I... And so if you are asked, give it serious consideration. Mm-hmm. Remember, you need to have a passion. But if you, if you have a passion for, for whatever it is that you're asked, um, you know, go for it. Yeah. Um, there, 
the organizations need people with vision, with experience, and uh, with energy. And um, and uh, the, you you may just be the person that they're looking for. Yeah, well, that's uh, it's some uh, good advice, some good things to think about, and I think a good place to wrap it up. So, I think we'll uh, we'll end it there. Thank you so much, Steve, for uh, sharing from your experience and uh, some of the things that that you've learned. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed it and learned a lot. So, thank you. Thank you, Roland. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and thank you, Steve, for sharing your knowledge with us. I really liked the encouragement that he gave for me to think well about whether I have the passion the vision, and the time to serve on a board or a committee or to be part of an organization and to, to think about those things before um, agreeing or um, deciding to serve on a board. So thank you, Steve, for sharing those things with us. As always, I'd love to have you drop me a message if you have thoughts or things to share about the show. And you have a few days yet before Ricky and I record our question and answer episode coming up on September 29th. So send me an email at contact at everydayexpertise.ca if you have anything to say or ask. And as always, you can check out the website everydayexpertise.ca for more information about the show. That's all for now. Join me again next week to learn from the expertise of everyday people.